And now, it's time for the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. Listen in as Snowden interviews cannabis industry pioneers, marijuana experts, policymakers, medical practitioners, patients, and other amazing individuals with compelling stories to share. It all happens right now. Here's the Cannabis Reporter, Snowden Bishop. Hi, and welcome back to the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. I'm Snowden Bishop, and I thank you for joining us today. Last week marked a milestone for the cannabis industry when Canada became the first country in North America to end prohibition. Already we've seen a flurry of investors shoring up capital to invest in what is arguably poised to be Canada's fastest growing industry. In less than a week, demand for legal cannabis has far exceeded supply, which indicates there's no shortage of opportunity for well-prepared entrepreneurs to enter the space. But well-prepared is the operative word here. As we've seen in California, competition is fierce. Gaining momentum requires a well-conceived business plan and sufficient capital for research, development, and marketing necessary to gain a competitive edge. And with the adult use measure that became law earlier this year, industry stakeholders from growers to retailers have had to adapt to more restrictive regulation, including testing, which has cut into profits and slowed the supply chain from seed to sale. But despite the challenges, there's no shortage of opportunity to attract the right investors, innovators, and executives for anyone who has a fearless ambition and passion for an industry that has potential to transform lives, communities, and society at large. That's the topic of today's show and something our guest knows a lot about. Tim McGraw is a 20-year real estate veteran who's been helping cannabis companies secure operational space since 2012. As the founder and CEO of CannaHub, he's building cannabis industrial complexes where companies can capitalize on tax incentives and secured operating licenses while gaining control by having close proximity to testing facilities, packaging, and other related services all in one location. He personally works with legislators, county governments, and city councils in the towns where he builds cannabis parks to create ordinances that are favorable to Canahub business tenants. Tim, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've, uh, like I told you before, I've, I've listened to a couple of your podcasts and I was, I've been impressed. Thank you. I really appreciate that. So, well, I'm pretty impressed with what you're doing too. And this certainly is an interesting concept you have here. And it couldn't be better timing either. These are some historic times we're, we're in right now. It seems like every week something's happening that's just like, they're going to write movies about the, these days. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And it, it goes back and forth. It's not any one thing that you can put your finger on either. The thing that no, I find yeah. so fascinating is that the laws keep changing. In every state, they're all different. And so we just have... Ugh. Oh, and that's, that's going to be that way. I mean, we're always going to have states' rights. So that's always going to be an issue. And but no, there's so much going on right now. It's hard to really pinpoint, but I think that we reached a tipping point. There's no, and it was a while ago, frankly, you know, probably at the beginning of this year, there's no unlaying these tracks. It's all just when now. And oh, I think yeah. after the midterms, I think next year we'll have some legislation at a federal level. Now, what a lot of people don't realize is that's not going to solve all our problems overnight. You still have interstate commerce issues and the fact that you have to go through states that, have, that are still illegal to get to states that are legal. So there's a, there's a lot of work still to be done, but right now, Canada's got a jump to a head start on us, a serious head start on us. So we need to catch up. Oh, yeah. I think it became legal just two days ago? The Wednesday or Thursday, yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, they sold out already. I mean, <laughs> there's an undersupply, and that's a small market, Canada. Canada's a smaller market, cannabis-wise, than uh, California is. Right. So, but they're, the, the upside there, though, is international business, export. Being federally legal there, they have a serious head start on us. But I think things will change here shortly. And the genie is out of the bottle. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's, we've reached the tipping point. The tracks, we're not backing this train up. The industry is too big, too well regulated now. There's no downside. Nobody's found any negatives that are associated with the regulated cannabis industry. It's right. all good stuff. I mean, yeah. so what's there to, what's there to complain about? Uh, oh, the yeah. social and economic impacts are unreal. 
And environmental impacts too. If you're talking about like hemp, the whole hemp industry, <laughs> I'm going to replace plastic. Anything that can be made with fossil fuels can be made with hemp. So many things it can so many other consumables it can it can replace. I have really looked diligently over the last eight years since I started writing about hemp. I have looked, and I have not found one thing that hemp can't make that is now made with fossil fuels. I just can't. No, it's, it's even replacing steel. BMW is making it, their fenders out of it now. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, the composites I mean, the, people are... don't realize the first Model A or Model T was made out of hemp, the body. Right. So it's not an accident that hemp is where it's at right now. And it's going to, uh, it's, you know, it's cotton, the cotton industry, the paper industry, the whole, uh, you know, reefer madness uh debacle and propaganda that was put out that was all on purpose to take oh, down the hemp industry you're absolutely right i think that as the industry becomes more normalized if you will and we have legalization eventually i think you're going to start mm -hmm. seeing places where the industry can sort of congregate and i want to hear all about canahub but i just think that the premise of having all of these things under one roof is pretty exciting. Tell me a little bit about that because people listening may not know. Okay, so CannaHub uh, is essentially cannabis business parks. Uh, our, all of our campuses, we have four campuses now, uh, combining for just over 2 million square feet, but all of those campuses are zoned and we help to write the zoning ordinances with our host cities, so they're very business friendly. But we, we're zoned for all license types except for outdoor grow or outdoor cultivation and a couple of them, a couple sites don't have dispensary, but uh, everything from nursery to tissue culture, uh, third-party testing labs we have on both on all, all of our sites, uh, indoor cultivation, greenhouse, uh, distribution, manufacturing, transport, and then financial services also. Uh, Canahub offers uh, help to operators with their legacy cash, uh, banking, picks and shovels, packaging, uh, because we're the community has such buying power uh, together, we can obviously help uh, our operators get amazing prices on their, their picks and shovels in addition to their real estate. But it's, uh, it's exciting. It's, 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 it's going to be a first of a kind on this scale for sure to have this many operators in, in one location. So I'm excited about the collaboration that's going to happen between the operators and just the advancement of the science of cannabis because you put all of the you know, best-in-class operators together by uh, they're just naturally going to collaballorate so it's exciting it's a, it's a it's good to see it all come together I can imagine and will there be an educational component to this we're actually working on that um, our host cities or some of the cities in rural California have really really high unemployment so we're trying to work with certain with certain operators that are well suited for it but the cross train people from agricultural jobs that have 40 percent unemployment in the off season over into full-time non-seasonal cannabis industry work. So we're gonna be working on that. Uh, we're also putting an association of all of our operators together to help lobby. Uh, you know, we're stronger together, it's, it's that simple. Organizing is always the most effective way to protect yourself and, and help the industry. So- Well, I think that's true across the board in any industry, really. We don't have unions anymore, unfortunately, to you know help people like navigate decisions that affect them. Always power in numbers. But I love the fact that you're considering the educational component. And then as far as the lobbying is concerned, is this involving other people that aren't related to the park as well, like all industry stakeholders? Are you inviting them to join this? I think initially there'll be uh, CannaHub operators specifically. Uh, I'll kind of see what the, what, the, what the thoughts are internally. Obviously it's going to be democratic to the association, but it's, initially it'll be our, our operators and vendors to our operators. But I think we'll probably expand it. It's, it's one part that I left off when I was telling you about the parks is that one of the key components to what we've, we've done locally with these cities is not only, the, you know, got them to understand the social and economic impacts we've, we're going to bring to the city and the amount of revenue we're going to bring to the city, you know, through permit fees. But we were able to negotiate a 0% revenue tax on both sites. So that's another huge savings component for operators. Uh, the average statewide is 7.9% is what your local or county taxes. Both of our cities don't charge a revenue tax. It's been a huge competitive advantage because operators save millions of dollars a year by comparison to their competitors. So it's, uh, it's, we have, we have, demand has been good to say the least.
Yeah. Well, you know what? That was going to be my next question to you because I noticed that in your press release that you sent out the taxes. I I found that astonishing, actually. How on earth did you negotiate that? Well, these are, you have to understand that uh, if you're doing it on the scale that we are, one of our parks is 600,000 square feet. Another one's 1.2 million square feet. That's, that's substantial. And if you want to fill those places up and if you want to have successful operators, it needs to be business friendly. There's a lot of cities have, think that cannabis, for whatever reason, for, because of what they hear, is a license to print money. Regulated cannabis is not. It's, very, it's a very profitable business, but there's a huge upfront cost, startup cost. There's huge operating costs. There's infrastructure costs. Your overhead is, people don't realize how expensive the cannabis industry is to operate in. So anything you can do to help make these, these license holders successful and stay in your city, that's be- be- best for the city long term. It does the city no good if we build a million square feet and they're charging a 25% tax, nobody's going to come there. So it's, it's all about uh, realizing the, mo- the, the most benefits you can. Because just think of a 180-acre facility, it's going to be over 1,300 employees. They all have to go to lunch somewhere. They all are going to go out for drinks after work. They're going to use the gas stations. They're going to, so the indirect, outside of just the permit fees, but the indirect economic uh, impact we have with these cities is substantial. So the cities that realize that and progressive and, and want to see this historic uh, impact that you're never going to see something like this again, frankly. There's no other industries, uh, whether it's agricultural, growing tomatoes or processing, None of those comp- none of those industries are pumping the kind of money we do into the local economy through permits and whatnot. They they do whatever they can to save money. They they hire seasonally and you know pay minimum wage, where we're pu- actually actively pouring money into the communities and we do above and beyond that. We you know we sponsor everything that's ever brought to us. We write checks for locally, whether it's the football team or fireworks show or whatever it is. We do everything we can to to be a good corporate citizen. Well, I think that's amazing that you're doing that. And I'm really delighted to hear that the cities are agreeing to this. And I think a lot of people don't understand that regulation does come with that financial upside for communities. And, you know, it's not just about legalizing marijuana so that people can sit on their couch and smoke joints. This is really, yeah, it's a huge potential for new prosperity. And I don't think we've seen anything like this since like the tech boom was one. Um, The Mm -hmm. advent of like, you know, mobile and, and cellular phones that created a whole new industry around that. But I mean, this is, this is just incredible. And also it has that potential to transform the field of medicine and, you know, provide environmental solutions. And it's really, truly incredible. So, and, you know, a lot of people that I have spoken to have complained about in the state of California, some of the regulations that aren't like attached to the alcohol industry, for example, you know, they don't have to go through these hoops to make sure that people are getting your product and all of that. But since they transitioned from the medical use to the adult use, there've been a lot Mm -hmm. more imposing sort of regulations put on the adult use industry that weren't there for medical. And I mean, there's good and bad to that, but it's making it cost prohibitive for people to create new products, for example. And so having that tax break, I'm sure is a really good incentive for people to continue growing their businesses. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that, like I said before, the, the, the overhead is substantial in this business. And uh, if, if you've done business in other states like Illinois, New York, Florida, uh, Colorado, and so on, operators will understand that. But a lot of uh, existing California operators, the learning curve is going to be very, very steep. And if you're underfunded and you have high taxes, that's a bad combination. So it's going to be a challenge for, I, I think, a lot of big California operators to convert, or I shouldn't say big, I should say operators in general to convert up against, we have a lot of uh, big operators from other states that are coming in and they've, they've done it before. They've dealt with the heavy hand of the government in other states. So that's a huge advantage, but um, you, you definitely have to come into uh, the California industry well-funded and prepared to burn some money for a while. Uh, especially now that uh, testing is required as of July, that's a huge shift. 
better than 90% of the cannabis in California was failing testing prior to uh, it being regulated. So the use of pesticides, or basically the inability to use any pesticide now in California is a big, a big change. So, but it's, so far it's working out. I, I think uh, we've seen a lot of really good sophisticated operators that, have come, that are leasing space from us. And it's, it's regulation, despite my, me being a libertarian at heart, regulation in this industry was needed because we had to do a 180. And quite frankly, if you're going to be selling it as medicine and people are going to be smoking it, it needs to be pure. So I'm totally okay with it, with, with testing cannabis for impurities. We, we, we don't need to be putting, you know, pesticide-laced cannabis uh, out in the market or, you know, powdery mildew or the residual solvents in, in uh, extracts. So that stuff's important. And uh, it's going to be a, a boom in cannabis like we've not seen before because it's California is the largest state, the largest market in the world. So it's uh, going to be an interesting next couple of years. Yeah. I tend to agree that less regulation is good to a certain extent because then it gives people the opportunity to grow their businesses without too much cost burden. But the problem is that we've got, like in the alcohol industry, for example, and I hate to keep going back to that, or let's use tobacco, for example. I wish they did have those health and safety regulations attached to that because part of what makes cigarette smoking so dangerous is the fact that they use these chemicals to cure the tobacco. And there's no way that the hemp or cannabis industries could get away with that kind of chemical usage. Well, I meant that, I'm sorry, you actually asked this question earlier and you're 100% right. It's a uh... Cannabis is way overregulated in the purity of cannabis. Uh, as an example, FDA drugs, right? First off, manufacturers get to self-test, and they don't have to reveal to the, to the state if they fail. So they can they try to clean it up and test again. And they take very, very small samples of huge vats of the drugs. Uh, and their tolerances for residual solvents is like one part per uh, 350 million and I think uh, in, in uh, uh, California now, it's one part per trillion. Yeah. So it's, the standards are so skewed uh, towards you know, cannabis. So it's, it's, it's frankly overregulated, but that's the way that the, a lot of these states had to do it in order to get it passed. They wanted to see uh, you know, very, very stiff regulation, but you're right, alcohol, tobacco, um, FDA drugs, none of them are held to the standard that cannabis is. Yeah, yeah. And I think that to a certain extent, they should be tested more frequently and by independent testers, too, so that if they are going to impose any kind of testing regulation on any of those other industries, it should be mandated that it's independent. And, you know, I think also with the pharmaceutical industry, and especially when it came to like the opiate drugs, there was a lot of misinformation that was going out there based on these self-administered testing that they were doing. And a lot of doctors had no idea that opiates were going to be so addicting, and, and they were just prescribing them as, like, <laughs> as if it were the invention of the wheel. You know, it was great for people to be pain-free. And, and so, yeah, that caused all kinds of problems. But the cannabis industry has always been a lot more conscious of those kinds of things. So I think in California, certainly, they've gone a little too overboard with that. But at least people can be absolutely certain that the medicine that they're getting is of a certain purity that they're not going to get from a pharmaceutical drug. And that is comforting, I think, for a lot of patients, especially. And, and none of the side effects. Uh, you won't have to take more right. pills for the, for the side effects of the pills you're taking. I mean, it's, it's crazy. The, uh, the opiate op epidemic, is, which created a heroin epidemic, because that's the next step after... Uh, because basically all opiates are, are is pharmaceutical grade heroin. So once you can't get those anymore, you just move up to, to snorting or injecting heroin. Uh, so the, the harm that it's done. And then look at what we do with the soldiers that come back from, uh, you know, Afghanistan and Iraq and uh, have PTSD. We give, them, we give them the combat cocktail, which is opiates, antidepressants, and then they typically walk it, wash it down with alcohol. And there's 22 a day committing suicide. That is disgusting. That makes me furious. Yeah, it does me too. But they can't get cannabis. The VA won't allow them. To, uh, a lot of VA uh, hospitals now are looking the other way. But some will still, if they test positive for cannabis, not give them their whatever drugs that they were, they were on. And they'll be, yeah. then they'll be, have to, they won't be able to wean themselves off. And 
they're always on black label antidepressants. And yeah. all, almost all of this stuff can be replaced with cannabis. That's never killed anybody. Ever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We've spoken to a lot of veterans on this show, and then we've started a series of videos, veterans testifying how cannabis has saved their lives. And you're right. I think that they did pass a law that said that if you live in a regulation state, that they're not going to reduce your benefits if you happen to be taking cannabis in lieu of these drugs. But in, certainly they can't get access in states that haven't even considered regulating medical cannabis yet, which I think is just criminal. You know, if, if you send somebody over to fight a war for whatever reason, when they come home, they deserve to get the best possible care that they can get that won't cause them additional harm. And we just aren't doing that as a society. So I agree with you 100% there. We need to do so much more. Ugh. But anyway, I'm pretty excited about what is going on in California and Canada opening up a whole new kettle of fish, if you will. <laughs> I think that that will be sort of a guinea pig laboratory for what the potential is of federal regulation here. I mean, we've seen a number of countries adopt federal regulation within their borders, and the roof hasn't caved in on anyone. I think that's what's so frustrating for me is why is it that, well, we kind of know the reasons. It's It all has to do with a special interest money, I believe. It's, it's a lot of things. It's the industrial prison complex. I mean, a lot of people make money off of putting people in jail. Police departments don't solve murders and violent crime anymore at the rates they did before the drug war. It's a, it's, a, it's a disgusting, vicious cycle that we have with our rate of incarceration we have in, in this country. It's the fact that we, we have a higher per capita incarceration rate than North Korea, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and all of those countries, and 43% of them is for nonviolent drug possession charges. That's insane. Yeah. And, yeah. Then we, and then we wonder why, there's, why we have... Problems in the uh, low-income areas where there's heavy policing and all the dads are in jail and the kids are raised by gangs. You want it's it's a cycle, and it's hopefully you, you, know, you have seen in these other countries more progressive countries that have decriminalized, maybe not federally regular uh, approved, but at least decriminalized drugs, even heroin, and you see the amount of good it does. Lock, put, locking people up in a in a box with a bunch of other with a bunch of hardened criminals where you can still get drugs is not a good way to get people clean. <laughs> and cannabis yeah. shouldn't nobody should ever go to jail for for cannabis it's it's never killed anybody it's not even toxic in any way so yeah it's it's another thing that i need to see, we need to see change right along with the descheduling or legalization of cannabis at a federal level but it also needs to be criminal justice reform that goes hand in hand with that we need to get all these people out of jail and their records expunged everybody that's ever been a victim of this war on people or war on drugs it's a travesty what we've done yeah, we've already been able to determine that, that putting cannabis in the Controlled Substances Act was really a measure to eliminate a huge chunk of the voter pool that was against the Vietnam War. Oh, yeah. And I've talked about this ad nauseum. I mean, listening to tapes with Ehrlichman and Nixon talking about how they knew that this was not a problem. They knew that cannabis was not a dangerous drug. But they needed those voters to support the war. And for whatever reasons, that's what happened. And still to this day, you know, you've got people fighting it. And, and yeah, it's the industrial prison complex. It's the pharmaceutical industry. It's the alcohol industry, which I don't understand. People are still going to have their beers. They do go down a little bit. In Denver, they went down about 25%. Oh, did they? Okay. I need to look into that then. I'm surprised that uh, alcohol hasn't been trying to create their own brands, frankly. I mean... Tobacco, cigarettes are dying in the U.S. I'm, I'm surprised that they've not converted more quickly, but I don't want them in the industry anyway, so I stay out. But eventually, you've got to figure that the you know big tobacco will try to barge its way in. Well, already you're starting to see some of the large beverage companies get in on the mix. I know that, for example, Coors Beer was in discussions. Coca-Cola was another one. And I don't think they'd publicly admit it, but they're definitely snooping around the industry to see how they can eventually take advantage of it and put themselves in a position to do it. And I thought it was really interesting that Monsanto is now also trying to develop strains that they're going to patent. And I think that that is, that's actually a very dangerous thing, I believe, because then you start taking out the whole purpose of cannabis being a natural holistic drug 
and start putting it into this sort of more commercial mix with people that are already like damaging our water tables and killing off bees. To me, it feels like a dangerous thing. But on the flip side, as long as these larger corporations are at least expressing interest in it, the policymakers are going to be a lot more amenable to relaxing the laws on it. And I think we've already started to see that happen a little bit anyway. I agree. It's, it, well, they see Monsanto and a lot of these companies see that the, the you know, the value of, of genetics in this business, the chemistry of the plant is as important as growing, you know, good uh, uh, flour that, to sell. The, the chemistry through extract and through recombinations of different cannabinoids, uh, that's how medicines are going to be created. Mixing CBN, CBD, CBG, CBC, THC together, uh, and then also with terpenes to give different effects is where the cannabis industry is going to end up. It's going to be the chemistry of the plant, the genetics of the plant, uh, and tissue culture is going to be the new way that, that all uh, plants are propagated. Uh, so it's, it's, going to, it's going to change a lot over the next couple of years. And the smart guys will under, move towards understanding the science of cannabis and why it works. The recreational market's great, but we can, we can replace so many different drugs with cannabis if we dial in the chemistry. And I'm not saying synthesize, that's terrible. Or isolating a certain, one certain cannabinoid uh, and, and then synthesizing that like they have with Marinol and some of the other drugs that are terribly ineffective. Uh, that I disagree with completely. And, and modifying genetics other than cleaning up uh, predispositions to certain diseases, anything like that I'm, I think is, is really bad. But eventually, if we're going to figure out how these cannabinoids work together and how the endo endocannabinoidal system works. And uh, that's going to be a huge because and that's what big pharma doesn't want because plant-based medicines uh, uh, they can't it's harder for them to patent they can patent the genetics but uh, and then with the recombination of the different cannabinoids uh, but it's not like uh, um, FDA drugs that go through that process where they have a seven-year ten-year lock on that drug you know the cannabis is everywhere so but eventually it, they'll have to you know, buy into it eventually, but they're, they're, they don't want to do it anytime soon. They're going to try to block it as long as they can. <laughs> no doubt. But you know what? That's the blessing of starting this industry while federal prohibition was still in full swing. Because what it did is it gave those who were passionate about the industry the leg up to start developing this business and modeling the future of it so that by the time federal prohibition ends, and it opens the doors for more banking and it opens the doors for these large companies to start entering the business in this way. By then, we will have already set these high standards. And I don't think that they're going to be able to diminish the intrinsic value that's been established by the industry as a whole when that time comes. I think that they're going to have to really uh, pay attention to the quality that the initial operators have adhered to and that some of these state regulations have insisted upon. So, I mean, that's the only blessing I see in it. I, I agree, but I, I think it's really important to note that anybody that wants to long-term grow with this industry, you have to evolve and you have to do it quickly. I mean, it's it, holding out to the past and old ways of doing things. You have to, this industry is, when it goes regulated, changes overnight. And uh, so it's, it's like I said before, it's a pretty steep learning curve, but, uh, you know, and capital is super important, too. So it's it's unfortunately, there's there's some large out of state operators and some uh, guys that have a lot of money that can cover up a lot of mistakes that are now entering the industry. So, I mean, I love the the OG, so to speak, the, the guys that started the industry, the, the, the outlaws, the guys that got us here. But those guys definitely have to, to evolve uh, with the way they do things to, uh, you know, deal with regulation. And uh, I'm glad to see that a lot of a lot of them have. But uh, it's, it's going to next two years is going to it's really going to shake out. The reset button got hit here in California. And now it's going to be the, the only the best guys are going to be able to grab market share. So it's going to be be interesting. And there is a lot of money entering the business. Like you said, there are a lot of acquisitions going on right now, particularly in Canada like canopy growth is just snapping up companies and a lot of them are a lot of people are merging together to share resources and you know and i think that with the canna hub too what you're doing it, it's kind of giving people an opportunity to work together in what they do because they're neighbors now 
So, well, you mentioned that uh, money getting into this industry now. Well, it's interesting because what we're seeing on the, our investor side, on people investing in the, in the company, is the what they love about about Canna Hub is the fact that the risk is mitigated. Right, first off, we don't we don't touch the plant. We are purely a real estate development uh, management security and ancillary services company. We don't actually grow anything. We don't create any products. So <clears throat> that that coupled with the fact that we're a real estate asset, you know, we're we're, we're you're secured with the with the the value of our real estate assets and portfolio, those two things combined uh, make it a really, really low risk investment. But we, you know, we show the type of returns that operators do. So it's uh, what you're going to see is a lot of guys coming in and kind of uh, feeling out the waters by by investing in ancillary services. But then once they get comfortable, that's when they really take the gloves off. And now you see these companies in Canada that have gone public and have raised substantial amounts of money uh, they have to go out and spend it and they have to continue to grow to, to uh, support their valuations. So you're going to see a lot of roll-ups and a lot of uh, uh, mergers. There's going to be a serious consolidation of the industry, I think, nationwide over the next couple of years. And a lot of it will be Canadian companies that are spending money here in the U.S. MedMen, GTI, Cresco, uh, Canopy, Acreage. Afria. Yes. Yeah, the list goes on and more go public every week. So, uh, I mean, uh, there's a high probability that we'll be uh, listed next year. So it's, uh, it's uh, interesting times. It's going to be a fun couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I hope that more states start adopting medical. And I think they will. There are a couple of them that are trying to launch. Like I know Missouri has their proposition too. And one of the others that are going to be one of the remaining holdouts, you know, is North Dakota or Idaho, you know, something way up north. But I think that the doors are open. Yeah, like like we we said earlier, we reached the tipping point, the tracks are laid, however you want to phrase it. Uh, there's a lot of good com coming from this industry, and I, I challenge anybody to tell me where the downside is. How, where somebody's being, where the... the uh, uh, aggrieved uh, victim is here. Who's a victim of the cannabis injury? Who's this hurting? And the answer is nobody. But it's helping millions of people get off other drugs and pumping huge amounts of money into local economies and schools and social services and everything else. So it's a uh, it's a very unique industry in that way. Yeah, and not to mention the farming communities, because the farming communities are really it. Once farmers are allowed in, in some of the rural states, you know, in Missouri, for example, I can imagine that's a huge farming state. And agriculture is, you know, depressed in a lot of places. A lot of uh, smaller farms have been restricted by what's going on around them with the big agriculture and losing opportunity. And it's been very depressed for a long time. And especially like now with import duties or, you know, the new the tariffs are what I'm trying to say with the new tariffs. You know, soy farmers, for example, are really suffering and and hemp would be one of those things that could really replace some of those other crops that are costing too much money for farmers to cultivate and still make a handsome profit because they're they're locked into this sort of um, GMO merry-go-round, if you will. And so this, they're held hostage by Monsanto to a certain degree. <laughs> I mean, really? Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, they definitely are. And, you know, they have to buy the the seeds every year because they're infertile. You know, that's causing all sorts of other problems. But at least with hemp, you can still make biofuel and you can still sell the fiber for the textile industry and and for building industry, making plastics and all of that. I mean, every inch of the hemp plant can be used. Every inch. It's the least utilized yeah. plant in it ever. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy how much how much how many uses hemp has. It really is. Building materials, flooring. Everything. Everything. Yeah. yeah. People don't realize that our founding fathers actually envisioned hemp as what was going to create the prosperity of America. And they don't realize that the first American flag was made out of hemp, that Benjamin Franklin's kite was made out of hemp. You can pay yeah. your taxes in hemp. Certain, certain colonies exactly. required farmers to grow hemp. 
<laughs> I know. Isn't that funny to think about now? It's like, really? You would... It was demonized. It was an organized I... campaign to demonize it. And that's yeah. why I don't use the word marijuana. You'll never hear me say, refer to cannabis as marijuana, because even that's a racist propaganda uh, word that mm-hmm. was created to make it sound more ethnic or more, more uh, Mexican. It, it, yeah. it, it's ridiculous. But oh, uh, I know. Things are, things are changing. Things, they are a changing. Yep. And I think with the elections coming up, too, I know a lot of people in my circle anyway, who are voting for cannabis. That to them is one of the biggest issues. Obviously, we all work in this industry, but that's a big issue. And, you know, no matter what the political persuasion is, if someone has an abysmal record on hemp, they're not going to get those votes. And, you know, or hemp or, or cannabis in general, they're not going to get those votes. So I don't know. I think it's really it, it's it, obvious it, now at this point, if you're voting against cannabis, you, you have ulterior motives. Somebody you're right. in somebody's pocket. Somebody's a donor, big pharma, alcohol. Somebody is is there's a motivation for them to be against it because no logical person would be. So it's uh, they're being exposed. And I, we're going to see a lot of changes, I think. I have, I have it on good authority that after the midterms, there'll be a lot of push. Uh, first off, Cory Gardner is still holding up Trump's confirmations of his U.S. attorneys. So um, their focus right now is trying to not lose, lose their uh, majorities. But after the midterms, there'll definitely be some sh- something shaken loose. And I think on both the hemp side and cannabis side, we'll see some type of federal legislation next year. Yeah. Well, that would be the first in a trend toward more honest government, I think. <laughs> That's actually moron right there. Honest government. I, I, I can't use those in the same, same sentence. <laughs> well, at the moment, yes. But I, I certainly hope that people are starting to get wise to these special interests. And we all have, even if our voting districts are rigged or what have you, we still have the power to influence just by picking up the phone and calling our representatives and telling them that we want this. And and every time you pick up, the, it equals a thousand constituents. So if you live in a small town and if everybody calls, you're going to have more than the weight of more than your population influencing policy for that representative in Congress, no matter what persuasion they're from so we have to get involved that way i think if we somehow institute it's it's nearly impossible to get done because nobody votes for it because self-interest but term limits would be the quickest way to turn this country around get get these guys who've been sitting there for 40 years uh out of their seats because i don't know anybody that's a gen x or gen y or whatever that's not a baby boomer that is for the drug war I mean, or thinks that people should be locked up for smoking cannabis or using cannabis. Nobody. And it's over 70%, including the baby boomers. So we are the majority. That's one of our taglines for the company is we got to realize that we are the majority. They're the minority. We're more powerful. We just got to use our voices. We just got to speak up uh, and uh, get these dummies out of power. Hopefully we do some of that in November. Yeah. The flip side of that is that there have been some good ones that have remained in power. And I was just, I was devastated by the loss of John McCain because I thought he was one serious voice of reason in Congress for the most part. But uh, I don't know, not necessarily on the cannabis issue, but just in general. But yeah, I think term limits would be good. The biggest issue with him was yeah. being a war hawk. I'm just not a big fan of starting wars, but. He was a, a good represent, representative. He, he, had good, he was a very principled guy, that's for sure. Yeah, more so than we can say for 90% of the people who are still in Congress today. So it's, it's hard. It's, Absolutely. It's, it's very hard. But I think that cannabis has potential to solve so many problems that we have if we can just get ourselves and our government out of the way and just let this industry push forward. I mean, we really are on that precipice of incredible, unimaginable prosperity in this country. And I think cannabis can help us get there. But and how how do you plan to replicate? We won't for the most part. Uh, we, not the not the same uh, campus style models that will that, that we do in California, only because most of the other states have limited numbers of licenses and much smaller markets. So there's just not the number of tenants that we would need to even fill a two million square foot facility or campus. But what we will do is make investments 
in operators through uh, real estate, through sale leasebacks, uh, and some other ways to, to free up capital for operators. So we will uh, be doing deals. We're already looking at several deals in other states and in Canada uh, that involve us being the developer and uh, owner of uh, sometimes uh, one or two operators, but uh, typically more just uh, a single single operator. So uh, we are we will expand our footprint. We're looking at a, like I said a couple other deals internationally, uh, but the idea is to take our our experience with cannabis or my experience with cannabis operations. And uh, obviously with real estate and uh, continue to help operators put, keep more money and be able to put more money in the community, but not through taxes that end up in the ether. Uh, I, think of, I think we can do a lot of good uh, even outside of what we give the city and the, and the state in, in, uh, in taxes like we do locally. I think it's really important that to, uh, for the industry to show how good, a, good the community is. The cannabis community is a, a, a definitely... Uh, unique, I think, in that uh, the the way we take care of each other, and uh, I think if we continue that trend locally with where we operate, uh, it's the best thing for the industry because it uh, it shows you know that we we care, I guess. But uh, uh, those those impacts are, are what excites me the most, frankly, is seeing these restaurants full after work and seeing uh, just the the uh, the excitement that it, that it ends up bringing in town because it's vibrant again. It's, it, it turns some of these sleepy towns into busy places. So it's uh, it's going to be a fun watch it happen over the next uh, year and a half. Well, yeah, and there were a lot of towns that over the last, well, especially right after the market crashed in 2008 and 2009, a lot of these mid-sized to small cities were bankrupt. They had no new industry. And I'd be really curious to go back and look at some of these towns and find out if the cannabis industry has lifted them up out of that bankrupt state that they were in and brought new life into the cities. It'd be a really interesting civic educational experience to just go look. I could give you the names of some cities that I, I did it in. I mean, just historically altered forever the landscape of the city by building facilities in the town. Like which ones? Give me a couple of examples. Uh, there's two in Illinois, uh, Delavan, Illinois, and Williams, Illinois. I'm sorry, Delavan mm-hmm. and uh, Barry. Uh, Williams is in California. Both Delavan and Barry, uh, in my previous life, I built facilities there, and it forever changed those communities for the, for the better. I don't think either one of those cities would have anything negative to say about, uh, other than you know a change in governor that Illinois that, that really slowed down the industry. Outside of politics, they'd have no complaints about what the industry's done for those communities. That's for sure. Yeah. And then yeah. there's, I mean, there's cities all over the country that can say the same thing. I mean, literally hundreds and hundreds of cities across the country have seen huge impacts uh, in these the more depressed rural areas, for, uh, for the most part. Uh, you take a town of eight or 12 or even 20,000 people and you add, you know, a couple hundred jobs and, you know, it's a that's, that's a big impact. I, I mean, a couple of my developments that I've done, we've been the largest employer in the city, or second only to the school district, or something like that. So it's 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 real. The the economics is real. That's amazing, and I know that this has happened also in North Carolina, where some of the tobacco farms went out of business, and they had these this incredible infrastructure there for drying and for processing tobacco that could be repurposed for hemp. And it's been interesting to kind of watch that evolution as well. And in Kentucky, the hemp farms are just doing incredibly well. That's awesome. That's awesome. I wish I was more involved yeah. in hemp. I'm just, we have enough on our plates right now, but it's, uh, I'm, I'm excited for that industry. Yeah. There's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of synergies there. Oh, absolutely there are. Absolutely there are. But the opportunity for medical cannabis is just outstanding too. And I was really encouraged to see... UCLA, major academic institution, really taking a leading role in in research. And I know that they're coordinating with universities in Israel, which is way ahead of the curve when it comes to the science of cannabis. Really exciting stuff coming out of Israel. But it is very encouraging. And so what would you tell someone 
who was in another realm of either farming or another industry and wanted to make a transition into cannabis in terms of acquiring land to do it or finding the investments? What kind of advice would you give to someone who was inspired? Uh, call us. <laughs> but but seriously, it, you, putting together a team that understands the industry and understands regulation around you is very important. It's what I had to do early on. You know, I didn't know everything back in 2012 when I, when I entered the space. Surrounding yourself with experts in the industry from other states is probably step one for me. Uh, putting together a, a business plan and a, and a pro forma that makes sense. Do your homework. Do your due diligence. Uh, and that uh, guys that from other states that have done it uh, have done started started other companies can help with that. Um, but this is not this is not an industry you jump into uh, on a shoestring and a dream. It just isn't. Uh, now that it's regulated, especially, it's uh, it, there's a lot of costs associated with security and compliance, and it's hard to grow cannabis without pesticides, especially in greenhouses and, and most of all outdoor. So uh, and then. You know, once you have all that, do your due diligence on where you're going to locate. If you're not locating in a Canahub site, uh, a community or campus, uh, you need to make sure that just the city that you are looking at has ordinances in place that are tenable, that you can actually operate uh, with. There's some cities in California that have fine print that people don't realize is a huge deal until they, they try to get operational, like having to hire half your staff from the city. A lot of these small towns don't have, they don't have a lot of uh, people that can convert and you're going to need to pull from the same county or a couple towns over or a bigger. So uh, that, and then the, the taxes that some of these cities are charging is just outrageous. So, you know, do your homework and uh, uh, raise some money. If you, if you don't have a lot of money, go out and, and find some, but you need to, you need to, you need to come in with enough money for your, your build out, your, and about a year's worth of operations uh, just to start. Uh, if you want to make a real play at this and then marketing, you know, grabbing market share is going to be expensive too. There's a lot of white noise. Uh, you got to be really good at uh, marketing to, uh, to grab market share in California. So it's, it's not, it's not a uh, winning a lotto ticket, starting a cannabis company. It's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I haven't had a non-working vacation in over six years. Wow. <laughs> well, you know what? Come to think of it, neither have I. <laughs> I mean, I, I traveled for work a lot, <laughs> but not not just to go on a cruise. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what I would do with myself if I weren't constantly studying this. You know, this has been my life for <laughs> since, well, for a long time. It's been, my my first article was in 2010, and I became obsessed with it since then. You are a veteran. With the... I guess over five I years guess. in this business is like 20 in any other that's for sure <laughs> yeah isn't that <laughs> the truth so ugh. well it's all very exciting and so are you looking actively for companies and startups to invest in uh we don't invest in we're looking for operators uh sophisticated operators that are well-funded uh for obviously for tenants for in our in our campuses uh like I said, demand is very, very high, but we are, we are pretty picky about who we uh, we do deals with because it's substantial. These are these are not you know thousand square foot closets that we're leasing out. For the, I mean, our average size unit is a twelve or fifteen thousand square feet, uh, and that's you know sometimes millions of dollars in build out. So we are looking for opportunities out of state to uh, if an operator has real estate that they that they own or or want to buy or. Uh, and lease back. We're looking at those. We're looking at a few of those. Uh, and then internationally, we're looking at a couple campus models in, in, in two different countries. But uh, yeah, we're always looking to expand our portfolio. We intend to be the most valuable portfolio uh, in the cannabis industry, if we're not already. That's fantastic. So there was someone who had some land that wasn't yet irrigated, and um, but it would be an ideal growing climate. Is that the kind of opportunity you would support for like let's say if somebody wanted to get into the business had a great business plan and well-connected opportunity to make a go of it just didn't have the money to make their land ready for cultivation well we, we don't do anything we don't do outdoor for the most part uh greenhouse sophisticated greenhouse grows is, is probably the the uh, least sophisticated uh, builds we do but for the most part these are laboratory style facilities these are manufacturing tissue culture. These are clean room style facilities. 
So it's not just, you know, throwing up some hoop houses and, and putting some plants in the ground. So we do prefer some existing infrastructure, uh, especially because the timing that it takes, especially in California, uh, in almost any state for that matter, from a ground up build, the environmental uh, hurdles that you have to go through to start from raw land and build the infrastructure that, that you need, especially for growing. I mean, growing takes a lot of power. Uh, greenhouses, obviously, a lot less, but uh, the infrastructure needed for cannabis facilities is substantial. And, you know, the typical commercial space is not going to have enough power. You know, a couple hundred amps of service is not going to, does not go very far in the cannabis industry. So a lot of people underestimate the costs of getting uh, power to themselves and sewer, water, uh, all those things. So we don't, we don't look at much at the, you know, like desert properties or, or raw land deals anymore. We have, we have enough raw land to develop right now. So we're looking more for operators that have a building that they're interested in buying uh, or they have a building that they already own and they need to free up some capital uh, in other states. And obviously then we're looking for operators that want to lease space from us and we can help them with their, with their uh, build out in our parks. Right. So the number one thing is getting the best possible operators, growers, manufacturers in Canahub because everybody's going to benefit from that. Yeah, so, well, that's pretty interesting, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next couple of years, and beyond interesting, it's going to be exciting, is what it is. It but is. I'm, so, but I'm, I'm eager to follow how it's going with what you're doing with Canahub. Any last thoughts? No, besides, this was well, probably one of my favorite interviews, so thank you for having me. I'd love to come back and, and uh, talk to you again sometime. But uh, Thank you. Keep fighting a good fight, and uh, we are the majority. Let's act like it, you know? Let's not be bullied <laughs> by anybody. Exactly. I, I agree with that 100%. So, well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And, yeah, I look forward to speaking with you again, and we will definitely stay in touch about all of this for sure. But good luck with the additional parks and the groundbreaking. So thank you. Thank you, Snowden. <laughs> You're welcome. Oh, so once again, it is time for us to bring yet another show to a close. If you'd like to learn more about my guest, Tim McGraw, please visit us online at thecannabisreporter.com. Click podcast to find today's episode, and there you will find his bio and information about Canahub and a link to his website. We have so many others to thank. First, I'd like to express our gratitude to our radio sponsors, Canisphere Biotech and Healthterra. We certainly couldn't be doing this without you. I'd also like to thank the team here at The Cannabis Reporter for always making us shine, and our programming directors at XRQK Radio Network and Society Bites Radio for distributing our show. And last but not least, Thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Snowden Bishop inviting you to join me again next week, same time, same place, for another episode of the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. Until we meet again, be safe, stay informed, share what you've learned, and make it a great day. Now that doctors and patients have discovered the many benefits of hemp-derived